The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
I'm sorry to announce that this week, former minister of this congregation, John Marsh, died this past Sunday, following a severe stroke from a year ago. John is fondly remembered for his co-ministry with the Reverend Margot Campbell Gross, serving our congregation from 1995 to 2004. We remember John for his sense of humor, his deep commitment to social justice, particularly his work on death penalty issues, his laughter, his love of church, and his very big heart. We extend our condolences to John's wife, Allison Patrick, and his children. It is a tradition in this community to extinguish a candle on our altar in honor of a life lost. And so we do that this morning. Good morning and welcome. My name is Allison Jacks, Associate Minister here at this congregation, and we are happy to have you with us in worship today. If you are a first-time visitor, a special welcome to you. Please find and download our order of service that you can find on our live stream. And if you fill out our online connections form, you will receive our weekly and monthly e-newsletter and that will include a link to our live stream services. So welcome. And I'm Vanessa Southern, Senior Minister of the Congregation. I wanna thank everybody who made this service possible, the live stream, the singing, the flowers, and to note who we have with us in addition to the usual suspects. Today was supposed to be Meg McGuire, our intern minister's last sermon of her internship year, but we talked her into staying for another month while Allison and I are on vacation, and so she can get to see you all a little bit in person, but it's symbolically her last day. So by invitation, joining us in the sanctuary, Besides the choir are members of her internship committee who will speak later, and others who have been particularly involved in her internship. The lay pastoral care team who's done an amazing job of coordinating our outreach and care for one another in the last 15 months. Along with the ministers, the committee on ministry members, the group that is a sounding board and a place for reflection for our ministers. For our worship associates, who Meg has worked closely with, and Susie Thorne, too, who donated the lead gift last year toward the internship, which we all funded. Lovely to have everybody here. One last group was invited to join us today. Those are the members of the 8th Principal Task Force. Last week at our annual meeting, all democratic wrangling aside, 
We voted to uphold and support the adoption of the eighth principle by member congregations of the denomination. And we voted that we ourselves are committed to doing the work in our congregation right now. This conversation was conducted that led up to the vote over the last four months in worship, in testimonials, in coffee hour breakout rooms, in forum discussions, in one-on-one -on -one conversations and phone calls made to members. Thank you to everybody who participated in this conversation and discernment about what the Eighth Principle might mean to us as a congregation and how it might call us forward as a religious movement. I'd like the members of the Eighth Principle Task Force, those who are here today, to come up on the chancel to be thanked and take a bow. So if you could come forward now, we would appreciate it. Others, of course, were part of this work, but the people you see here who are listed in our order of service are those we have most to thank for coordinating and leading this effort. Cal Ball, Scott Benbow, Jayanti Chapeau, Sam Hamner, Rochelle Fortier-Wadibia, Gordon Cherfinsky, Don Shearer, Judith Stoddard, and Liz Strand. And a special thanks, a special thanks to Mari Magaloni-Ramos. Mari served as the visionary guide and cheerleader of our Eighth Principal Task Force. Mari, your mix of vision, enthusiasm, conviction, joy, and love for this community is worthy of a moment of shared gratitude. The fruits of this work that all of you have done promise to be rich and sweet. And Mari, in honor of your special gifts and commitment to the work, we have this small token of our appreciation. And so with a very full Sunday, we begin. And we begin lighting the blue candle, I'll ask Allison to do that. As we have every week since March of 2019, in honor of all of you joining us via live stream, bringing your spirit too into this place until such time as we can all be here safely together. Welcome. We have another reason to thank Mari, and that is because Mari and her partner Michael brought to us Cal Ball. And Cal, in Mari's loving words, is her brother from another mother. <laughs> and Cal joined, started attending our services about two years ago, and last May, when we were early into the pandemic, Cal, along with Michael and Sarah and Dave, joined our congregation. 
So now I'd like to invite Richard Davis, Chair of the Internship Kitty and Kit Committee, and Cal Ball, our new member, who done, he has done so much work this year on the eighth principle and our nationwide UU the Vote effort to come up and light our chalice. In your order of service, join me as you are able and willing. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Let us join in singing the first hymn of the day, Just As Long As I Have Breath. It's hymn number six. of this church. And service is its prayer. This is our great covenant. To dwell together in peace. To seek the truth in freedom. And, and to, to help, help one, one another. another.
I'd like to invite forward the members of the internship committee, those who are here, which I think is most of them, Richard Davis, Luann Schulte, Alex Dar, Mari Magaloni-Ramos, who's getting her stares in today, John Maliska, Marie Kazan-Komarik, who is not with us, but with us in spirit, and Amy Kelly, who is our board liaison to the committee. This is the group that is charged this past year with partnering with our intern to do reflection, to give insight and guidance. I'd like them to speak a little bit about what it's meant. Over my too many years, I have served as chair of committees, departments, schools, and institutions. What I found over that time is that most people think a chair is something to sit on. This has been probably the most pleasurable group of people with whom I have ever, ever worked. And in the most difficult time that I could have imagined, <coughs> excuse me, we had the good fortune to work with one of the best people that I have ever met, Meg McGuire. And I believe she's helped us as much or maybe more than we've helped her. This committee is forever changed by what Meg has given to us. And so, as a memory which we hope will light her life as much, crinkle, crinkle, as she has lit ours, we present her this chalice. So I, I think what, uh, what Richard didn't say humbly is that he made the chalice, which people who have longtime members of this congregation know that Richard does beautiful woodworking and that this also is made from burl wood, which those of you who know, I love the symbolism of the chalices made from burl because burl, as Richard told us um, in the past when he gave one to the worship associates to use, is the part of the wood that has been injured or attacked and so it has protected itself, but the places where it has protected itself become the most beautiful wood. The places of injury become the most beautiful places, which is just such a gorgeous metaphor for what we offer the world of ourselves so often. So I feel like we need to thank Richard and name the powerful symbolism that's doubly in that chalice that you were just gifted. Many of you know our congregation has a long-standing commitment to being a teaching church. Folks like the late Dick Castile and our own Amy Kelly were instrumental in establishing the program. For years, Mary Jane McCaria and Marie Kazan-Kamarik, who is not able to be with us today, 
shepherded the program. And this year, we have benefited from the generosity of Susie Thorne, and, which has enhanced the program, and we thank all of you that have also generously given to this. As Dick mentioned, we've been very lucky to have Meg as our intern. If you've participated in a workshop, a class, attended a service, you know what a bright presence she has been here. So at the end of a challenging pandemic year, it's bittersweet that we officially say goodbye to you, Meg, but we do have a small gift for you. Please. <laughs> we understand that you will not officially wear this until after your installation. However, when you put it on, imagine all of the congregation supporting and surrounding you with care and love and know that we're behind a very successful ministry to be. So I, ju I just want to say, uh, Jonathan, we are completely responsible for everything you see in Meg's outfit right now. So we have set her up for the future of ministry. The robe, the robe is from the minister's discretionary fund, which all of you make possible. The stole, the internship committee picked out gorgeous on behalf. Oh yeah, the mask. Yeah. The only thing we're not responsible for are her shoes. So I feel like we have gotten in your chalice. We've gotten you ready for going out into the world. I am so grateful that I have another month to attempt to put to words to, to you all, to you all, to Vanessa and Allison, just how much this year has, has meant, and your, your support and your welcome. And I have individual gifts for many of you, but I have a gift for the congregation that I want to offer now, and maybe I'll give it to Richard and he can figure out how you give a gift to 300 people. <laughs> so, um, is my mic on? It is a photo that our own Galen Workman took of a chalice with you all in the background um, and made into a mosaic of little Zoom screenshots of all of you who I have been in a Zoom meeting with, which I think is a good, a good bit of you. Um, they are small enough that you won't be able to tell that almost everyone is making a funny face, <laughs> but big enough that I think you might be able to find yourselves. So a testament to this year and, and my gratitude to you. We'll give you a chance to look at it close up. It's stunning. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think we have more time to say our thank you and, and get to talk to Meg, but this has been such an unusual year to do internship. And Meg has figured out how to rise to the occasion and connect with people and lead to the pivoting needs and um, connections of the congregation. And now is getting to see 
people in person, some folks, um, which is such an unusual way to do ministry, and yet she's managed to do it so beautifully that even though we get an extra month, it's going to be a big hole in USF to have you not here. So with gratitude for what the movement inherits and our chance to spend some time with Meg McGuire, we give thanks. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human-made catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps for the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, for all people held without charges in less than transparent and humane circumstances in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia and racism and greed. We ring our gong seven times for the week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and our shared responsibility as citizens of this country.
We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 73,205 people died of COVID-19 globally, 2,719 of those in the United States. We hold in our hearts all of these losses, each person precious and worthy of health and safety. And we hold with gratitude all who continue to work around the world to produce and distribute and administer vaccines and all other efforts to support greater health and survival and immunity from the virus. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we each ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Listen to the sounds of the person or animal besides you, those quiet murmurs of, of living, to the hum of your neighbor's television or the sound of your dishwasher or fan, to the traffic outside, the birds singing through the window, And listen below that to the quiet, to the space inside of you, that space that's always there. Listen to your head, to your heart, to your gut, to your body. And below that, listen to spirit, to God, to nature, to the universal intelligence in and around us, to the still small voice inside of you, to whatever whoever it is that calls to you now, I invite you to listen. 
as we enter into this time of silence, shared and made sacred in our sharing of it. I invite you to keep listening. Listening for whatever it is that rises up in you. Listening to yourself and all that is not you too. Listen, knowing that through silence and after it, we can hear a bit better. Listen now, if you are moved to this prayer that I offer into this time we've set apart, or listen beyond my words to the spirit therein, heard in whatever words make sense to you. Spirit of life and love, thank you for the gift of this day, for the power of community held together still in spite of and across our distances for the emerging possibilities in our midst, for the gifts of clarity and discernment that our shared life offers. May we keep listening to our wisest selves, to each other, and all that binds us together and calls us forward. May it be so. Amen. I invite you to continue in this listening, singing together hymn number 391, Voice Still and Small.
From my perch to the west, I can see the city of Santa Monica and the Pacific Ocean beyond, just making out a white line of surf on the beach. Glancing south, I see a city that stretches to the horizon. It seems like Los Angeles goes on forever. And north, when I look north, mountains rear up and force my gaze higher and higher until their peaks reach the sky. The 12th floor of the Arts Building at UCLA was probably designed to take advantage of this view. I know I did many times during my time there. That day, as I contemplated graduation, I could see my past, present, and future all at the same time. Looking down, I could make out my old apartment building nestled between giant shaded homes that long ago were subdivided into fraternity houses with their strange Greek letters. I could see the sweeping track and field stadium as it was slowly transformed into an orderly patchwork quilt for commencement. And in the distance, I could see towers of the office buildings where I would soon find myself. What am I going to do, I thought. I'll graduate soon, I've got a job, a new apartment, but my life for the past few years has been on this campus. There's a goodbye party coming up in a few days. My friends and companions from the Gay and Lesbian Student Association were coming together for one last time, just to be together. I will never pass this way again, I thought. I thought this is community by definition, but a temporary one. We grow up and out together, and then we're released into this crazy world. But isn't that the whole point of university? To graduate, to become a part of what's next? But saying it didn't make it any easier. I felt a lump in my throat and thought, I will never have this moment again. I remembered back to how badly I wanted to attend that great university, how long it took to get me there, and how I struggled. It wasn't anything like I imagined. For years, a beautiful poster beckoned, 200 photographs, different faces, colors, UCLA, a continuing creation it promised. I wanted to be a part of that continuing creation so badly. To promised, it promised a place that would uplift, a future bright, so many possibilities. In other words, its creator hit its mark. What I found, as, within so many, as with so many things in life, was a little different. Reality was a little different. 50,000 people arrived on that campus daily, a city within a city. Student housing, always in crisis, sharing rooms. To be close to that big, beating creation, I lived with three other strangers in a huge dorm room, an apartment, though, right across the street from campus. It was there nestled between those giant fraternity houses that I experienced another side of that great school I hadn't express, expected. Hey, hey, N-word, rang out loud and clear as I turned the key to my own building, he and his friends laughing, proudly waiting for a reaction. This is Los Angeles in 1979. Jimmy Carter is president, Ronald Reagan on the ascendancy, and in that moment, I felt betrayed. This wasn't supposed to happen here. Didn't they know they were a part of a continuing creation? Not so much.
So there I was on a campus I dreamt about, a brown cork and a sea of humanity, but something caught my eye in the campus newspaper, Gay Student Union meeting, 7.30 p.m. I remember climbing the stairs of Kirchhoff Hall, click, 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 I thought, in a minute, I'm gonna come out to everyone. Those big glass-leaded windows, well, everyone can see me, even my roommates. I know, I'll sit in the back, no one will see me. Click, click, click. Then the heavy iron door, pushing forward, it opened. In a sea of a thousand doors, I learned I had to walk through one to find my way. What I found in, inside surprised me. Community rich and poor, black and white, red and yellow. Confusion, hurt kids, mean kids and nice kids. I didn't find a perfect world, but I found my continuing creation. What a strange world. You know those fraternities that I live next door to? Well, they rejected two of my roommates as members, one of whom became the yearbook photographer and best friends to cheerleaders, who, one of whom became Miss America that year. I thought, well, poetic justice of a sort. And me? Well, it's hard to stay in the closet when you become president of the renamed Gay and Lesbian Student Association and are photographed for the daily paper by your roommate. It seemed the creator of that poster was really channeling something. In a time of a thousand doors, I'd found something. That continuing creation lives in me, and to find it, I needed to read the notice, climb the stairs, and push hard on the door to my future. It meant that even in a city of a thousand doors, I'd found something to hold on to. I'd found my people, and I'd found my tribe. Good luck, and Godspeed, Meg. Star King sent Meg to us, and to receive is a blessing, but to give is divine. Star King School for the Ministry supports people in formation for Unitarian Universalist ministry and for progressive religious leadership in society, grounded in Unitarian Universalist values of countering oppression cultivating multi-religious life, and learning and creating just and sustainable communities. So reach for divinity and give to Star King for the future of Unitarian Universalism. The offering will now be both given and gratefully received. If you are online, Please press the donation button in the order of service or the website. Um, it's also in the video description and in the chat. And specify special offering in the payment portal. Thank you.
For our reading this morning, Meg has selected, selected a poem called Calling by Nancy Schaefer. When you heard that voice and knew finally it called for you and what it was saying, where were you? Were you in the shower, wet and soapy, or chopping cabbage late for dinner? Were you planting radish seeds or seeking one lost sock? Maybe wiping handprints off of a window or coaxing words into a sentence or coming upon a, a hyacinth or one last no. Where were you when you heard that ancient voice and did yes get born right then and did you weep? Had it called you since before you were even you? And when you knew that, did your joy escape all holding? Where were you when you heard that calling voice and how in that moment did you mark it? How after that were you forever changed? Tell us please all you can about that voice. Teach us how to listen, how to hear. Teach us all you can of saying yes. So I've been practicing preaching to Eric and Shuli and Reiko and Jonathan all year, and this is a little bit different um, to have even a fraction of you in the room. is strange and thrilling. Um, and I'm so grateful that we are together in hybrid this week as well, and for all of you joining, joining from home. I love Reverend Nancy Schaefer's poem because I think it offers some welcome complexity to a traditional notion of calling, a different vision than the calling of Moses or Jeremiah or Isaiah come up from flames or shaking the doorposts or booming from the heavens. That vision can feel theologically dissonant for many of us, but even the humbler, quieter version that she offers still begs the question, who or what is calling and for what? I've wrestled with that question myself. Seminary is a, a veritable onslaught of invitations to describe one's sense of calling, one's call to ministry, and while I have written many of those essays over the years, when I sat down to write one sometime last year, what tumbled out surprised me. Because it wasn't a call to ministry, not exactly. It happened in a dog park, in a time in my life when I did not have a dog. It was on a Thursday in the bright Midwestern spring, it was back in my hometown in the fresh aftermath of loss. A friend who I hadn't seen in years showed up unannounced 
as one does in the week following a death, and asked if I would like to go for a walk. I said yes, and so Hannah and I walked together at the nearby dog park. It must have been around four in the afternoon because the sun hung low in the sky and was casting golden light all around us. And when we stopped walking and stood there in the middle of the park and watched as my parents' dog, our pass into the dog park, joined a dozen others and before long, the group was running in huge circles around us, furiously, joyfully running, tongues hanging out, paws scraping against the ground, dirt flying up around them and running so close to us on each loop that we would be compelled to jump back. And then around they'd go again. That was where I heard it. But it wasn't a call to ministry, not exactly. I think that our ideas around calling can get overly attached to a particular type of vocation like ministry, or perhaps overly attached to vocation in general and specifically to paid employment. And it shouldn't, I don't think. Because perhaps all of us are called. All are called was the audacious theme of our 2018 General Assembly in Kansas City, Missouri. All are called affirming that in religious community, we support one another in listening to the calls of our lives and in living into them. All are called as in inviting in the unique gifts that are each one of ours, celebrating them, growing them. All are called beyond the traditional notions of vocation, called instead to a shared ministry. I have been deeply moved this year by the ways that even in the face of challenges, practical ones, technical ones, and profound ones, the challenges brought by living together in the midst of a time of collective trauma and grief, I have been moved that even through all of that, in spite of all of that, maybe sometimes even because of all of that, that you of this community persist in living out and living into your callings together. You who serve food now in ever more creative ways, you who show up in courageous, consistent witness on our steps, you who listen and love and bear witness in the midst of life's trial and heartbreak, you who steward this institution, inviting others into deeper generosity and deeper relationship, you who recruit and develop leaders you who tell hard truths and support our growth 
and transformation. You who take on the necessary work of administration somehow joyfully. You who accompany our children and youth. You who bring us music and beauty. And of course, dear to my heart, all of you who generously mentor and counsel and support your interns. Few, if any, of these callings are lived out alone in congregational life. Rather, they come into being in communities, in groups, both formal and informal. And in the places where we join with others who are living into a similar call, there, I think, lie the seeds of what Paula Cole Jones describes as a community of communities. You may remember this concept from the conversation between Reverend Vanessa and Paula Cole Jones a few weeks ago about the Eighth Principle. And in that conversation and elsewhere in her work, Jones encourages our congregations to embrace an identity, not as a family, but as a community of communities, recognizing that there are multiple lineages and paths into each congregation, multiple ways of living into the work of the church, and embracing an honest expression of the pluralism that our pluralistic faith demands. But Paula Cole Jones is clear. These communities cannot be walled off or disconnected from one another. All communities within the community need be embraced for the gifts they bring and bound together in covenant. And I would add, bound together by a deeper calling a deeper calling that exists in the place where the ministries we share in meet. I think of the image that psychologist Ira Progoff offers. Each of our lives, he suggests, is a, a deep well, a well that through listening and practice we can journey deeper into, and a well that at its depth connects to a stream that is the source of all of those wells. And this stream is an essential resource, whether we know it or not, for it feeds and constitutes each well, each life. So living at the depth where that stream is accessible is profoundly clarifying. Deepening that connection to that stream, to that larger calling that undergirds this community of communities, that is the challenge that I offer to you today. And that isn't just about what you do. Nancy Schaefer, a Unitarian Universalist minister, published that poem, Calling, our reading this morning in 2002. Ten years later, writing in the aftermath of a terminal cancer diagnosis, Schaefer, seemingly in dialogue with herself, wrote another poem titled Calling, 
in which she wrote, her calling has little to do with ministry itself and everything to do with the sacred. It is not about serving a particular denomination or congregation, but she says, being in the world who I was created to be. Like standing on the stage of the universe and saying yes to God alone. After that, she ends, what possibly can go wrong? This developed notion of calling that Schaefer offers becomes less of a what and more of a how or even a why. And so it was and is for me. You see, what I heard that afternoon, that Thursday in the dog park was not a call to ministry. In that moment, life was spread out before me, absolutely undeniably miraculous. And I knew to my bones that I must say yes. Yes to life, yes to the fullest version of what that means for me, yes to living in service of love and all that it requires. Resolved to a yes that was deeper than my words could describe then or now. I was and am changed by that day, and it was not a call to ministry, not specific in next steps or clear in instruction, but one that through winding ways did bring me to seminary and did years later bring me here to you. There was a yes there in the dog park in that moment, but what's more important were the yeses that followed and the yeses still to come through which that larger calling constitutes itself. These capital C callings are hard to articulate and often hard to pin down to a single moment in that way. The stream that undergirds the choices we make, the work we take on, that stream that guides us towards the way we want to be together, to grow, and love and meet the ache of our world together. I know that some of you did a giant lift in listening for and putting words to this capital C calling in the mission vision process that culminated last year. And messy, as I'm sure it was, because these processes always are, the clarity that shows up in that vision and mission statement is laudatory. So real the challenge is of articulating the how and the why of who we are. This vision of yours, of authentic, inclusive community, of nurturing spiritual growth and community care, of accountability to each other and the work of mending our world, it is powerful. There is a yes there in the statement itself, and I have seen some of the subsequent yeses that are faithful to that deeper call. 
And it has been a privilege to be with you through some of them. The overwhelming affirmation of the eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism last Sunday, the commitment to the work of journeying toward spiritual wholeness, working to build diverse, multicultural, beloved community through our actions, actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. This is one of those yeses. And there were others born months ago in a Journey to Wholeness meeting and others over years before in the work that preceded it and others over phone calls and coffee hours these last months. And there are so many yeses yet to be. As you live into the work together and integrate it, into everything this community does. As you live into that vision and mission you've crafted, as you make space for many ways in and many ways within, and as you continue to listen to that deeper call that holds all of that together. For we know that we are at our most powerful when we can figure out how to say yes together. When in a sea of thousands of doors, the near infinite places where we could put our collective energy and talent, we learn to listen, whatever that means for each of us, and to listen to each other enough that we might find our way to and through one of them. To climb those stairs and take a deep breath in and push that door open. We have learned that it is not necessary to have all the answers to do that. It's not necessary to know exactly what the work will mean or where it will take us. It's not necessary to have the same answer about where the call is coming from. It's not even necessary to feel comfortable. In fact, much of the time we can be sure it will not be comfortable. But when we are grounded in those moments, in that shared deeper calling, we will know those moments when they hit us. And may we say yes. Yes, indeed. Take it away. You will shout when it hits you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You will shout when it hits you. Yes, indeed. Yeah. When that spirit calls you, you'll shout hallelujah. When it hits you, you'll holler yes indeed yes indeed it comes out when it hits you yes indeed yes indeed it comes out when it hits you yes indeed when that spirit moves you you'll shout let me in there 
when it hits you, you'll holler, yes indeed. Yes indeed. You're gonna shout when it hits you, yes indeed. Yes indeed. You're gonna shout when it hits you, yes indeed. When that spirit moves you, you'll shout, let me in there. When it hits you, you'll holler, yes indeed. Indeed. The spirit will move you, hallelujah, yes indeed, yes indeed. The spirit will get you when you holler, yes indeed. Shake your hands and rise up and holler, hallelujah, yeah. When it hits you, you'll holler, yes indeed, yes indeed. The spirit will move you, hallelujah, yes indeed, yes indeed. The spirit will get you when you holler, yes indeed. Clap your hands and rise up and holler, hallelujah, yeah. When it hits you, you'll holler, yes indeed, hallelujah, you will shout, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us out from within us, be gracious unto us, and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we will close today singing hymn number 131, Love Will Guide Us. Thank you all.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.